Prime Minister Trudeau had said the most important relationship is with that of Indigenous people. This is an opportunity for him and his government to show that. That's Bobby Joe Greenland Morgan, Grand Chief and President of the Gwich'in Tribal Council. She's our guest on the Akamemuk Podcast. Tanse, Tawau, and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is Cree, for you all persevere. Or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders, and community leaders. And today... A leading issue is the Trump administration's recent decision to open up the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge to oil and gas development, known as ANWR ANWR. This Arctic refuge is 19 million acres of pristine wilderness, roughly the size of New Brunswick. It is also the calving grounds to the porcupine caribou herd which has been sustainably hunted for centuries by the Gwich'in people on both sides of what is now Canada and the USA border. Gwich'in leaders have warned about the devastating environmental impact that drilling will have in the refuge. This includes the very real danger that it will decimate the caribou population, which the Gwich'in people still rely on as a crucial food source. For more on the impact of this decision and what can be done to reverse it, we're joined from Inuvik by Bobby Joe Greenland Morgan, Grand Chief and President of the Gwich'in Tribal Council. So welcome, Grand Chief. Thank you very much. Van Greensy, good morning to you, Chief Perry. So, Grand Chief, how did you react when you first heard about the Trump administration's decision on the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge? My first reaction was, of course, a great disappointment. Um, although not surprised, just given how things have been going under this current administration. But um, when something like this issue being so um, close to the Gwich'in and the, the, the meaning behind everything and why we have the position we have, one can't help but also get a bit get angry because this is something that impacts the Gwich'in in so many ways and we continue to have the powers that may be um, not respecting and recognizing us as Indigenous people and our rights. Again, anger, frustration, they opened it up, not respecting your rights as Gwich'in. For those of the listeners out there that haven't been up there, can you describe the Alaska Wildlife Refuge? Well, the Alaska Wildlife uh, National Wildlife Refuge is, of course, in Alaska. And for the Gwich'in people, our traditional territory um, stems from um, parts of uh, Alaska and into the Yukon and Northwest Territories. And the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge, the coastal plain is the area um, where the caribou calve. And that's the area that is um, what the Gwich'in have been, uh, among, among many other allies in the world, have been opposed to uh, development in that particular area. You, you asked me to describe the refuge. Um, I myself have not physically been in the refuge, but I've been quite close to it. Uh, I was in Arctic Village, Alaska, which is a... Uh, most northern, one of the most northern Alaska Gwich'in villages that's closest to the refuge. And one of the reasons, um, you know, we see a lot of photos and video of it, of the refuge. And uh, mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons that I say I'm not 
physically have been there is because to the Gwich'in people, that area is, is considered sacred. This it's, it's like a nursery. It's a nursery. It's where the caribou go to have their young and it should, it's their main birthing ground. Um, there, it's, it's also home to, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, polar bear denning that happens there. There's migratory mm -hmm. birds from around the world that go there to, to nest. It's, um, we, we look at it as a, a nesting area, like a nursing area. Uh, sacred area because it, it it should be we don't go in there and hunt you know that's where the herd goes to to do what they need to do is a part of the cycle of life but from the videos and the photos and the stories that we hear from from our our, our people over uh, thousands mm. of years plus the the stories over the years but the mm -hmm. videos we see now with all the attention on the refuge especially the last 30 years um it's it's beautiful you know i encourage folks to look up uh documentaries and videos there's many out there and you'll see um, just how beautiful it looks on video so you can imagine how much more um beautiful it would be to physically be there um it's it's one of the last uh, untouched, um, pristine areas on this planet. We're very fortunate up here to to live like the land just so close in our backyard, you know, just, um, and you've been up here before, Chief Perry, and, and just imagine like, you know, when you went for the drive with us last year on the, the Dempster mm. Highway, and we were out looking to just try to find some of the, the caribou that were crossing at that time. Like the land's beautiful there. And I think the whole planet, there's beautiful places in the Arctic Refuge, I think, um, not just for Indigenous people, but for the whole human race. This is a, a, a area that we, mm. we just need to protect. It's like the American jewel. No question. Like, it's a very beautiful territory. Um, but just to stress again, you know, the sacredness of that land because it's birthing grounds. It's like uh, the Gwich'in people don't go hunt there because they have that much respect and care. Mm -hmm. I know the Gwich'in people... And I was honored to be up there to see uh, the importance and the and the relationship they have to the caribou. But as a Gwich'in, can you tell their listeners, tell us about the importance of caribou in the Gwich'in culture? Caribou is um, <clears throat> the very core to who we are as Gwich'in. We're known as uh, Gwich'in people. Uh, if you uh, recall, uh, Chief Perry, when I had first met you in your Ottawa office back in 2016, uh, Deputy Grand Chief Jordan Peterson and I had uh, uh, were recently elected at the time and we were in Ottawa and we were making all our intro meetings. Uh, when we had met you, um, we sat down in your, your office and and you welcomed us and um, you said something along the lines of your, your way up north and I, we said, yeah, like we're the uh, northernmost First Nation. The, the, in, the, mm -hmm. the Inivaluit, our neighbors live further north than us, but we are the northernmost First Nation in the Northwest Territories, Northeast and Yukon. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you, you said, okay, you welcomed us. And then, and then you asked us, how is the seal if we eat seal? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah I remember that. And uh, our meeting <laughs> ended up turning into a good meeting, but it was like, uh, I felt like it was more of a, a Gwich'in 101, like we were giving you more of a, who we are as Gwich'in. Yeah, exactly. and, and although if given the opportunity, um, I, I would love to try seal meat, but that is not our, our territory and it's not our cultural food. Uh, our cultural food is, is, is mainly the caribou. 
And um, although we, we harvest and respect a lot of other animals, you know, various fish, fish and uh, birds such as ducks and geese, uh, the moose, we also we're fortunate to have moose up here. The caribou is like the like utmost respected animal for us mm -hmm. and just the reason behind that we respect all animals we're taught to do so but with the caribou it's it's the main animal that has um uh allowed our people to survive for for thousands of years it's it's no, it's more than just a food source you know traditionally every part of the animal had a purpose um they you know that the food was the source of a food source for sure, but then also the hides were used for clothing, for shelter. Uh, even the the bones were used for making various tools. I remember my late visiting mm -hmm. my late grandmother. Um, she was in her 90s at the time, and she would be still sewing, but she'd be using caribou sinew that they would make from from the animal. Um, you know, caribou like bags, um, shoes, clothes, just everything. And, and it's, it's more than that too. It's a spiritual connection we have to the land. Yep. The land is, is, is who we are as indigenous people, wherever we live. Um, you know, like for me personally, with my little family, like we try to get out there, um, as much as possible. Cause we do just feel so different when we're out on the land. It's, it's like such a, mm. like I, a strong yeah, spiritual it's connection. like that. Like you hear this saying all the time, wherever you go, you know, you hear people say like the land is our church, and and I yeah. totally feel that uh, every time I'm on the land, mm. you just feel so close to the creator and close to all the creation around you, and um, it's just like you know that that's that connection with the land, but also with the caribou, because we we got you know stories. Uh, creation stories, no matter which culture and race you come from, even Christianity has the creation stories. And with the Gwich'in, that caribou is a big part of that. And that's um, some of the reasons why caribou is so important to us. You know, we, we're in a time now, too, where um, we have our young people, youth, who are just craving to learn the language. They want language revitalization. Mm -hmm. They want cultural revitalization. And as leaders and uh, of today and also our, our leaders and elders of today, um, it just re reaffirms to us why we have that duty to protect the core of our culture. If we don't have that caribou, how are our young people who are wanting to learn who we are, where we come from and have that sense of identity, um, you know, they can't have that if we lose that caribou. Yeah. And even just... To further on that, as we're talking, I was just thinking, and I shared this on the other interviews I've done recently, is that very day the record of decision came out, I had all these um, calls coming in and talking to our our uh, colleagues uh, over in Wantatkwichin territory, and um, you know our staff were working together to do joint media releases, etc. I had all these like Washington Post, different news. Our um, staff were bringing in different news articles uh, for me to see. I had a text come in on my phone, and I look, and it was my mm -hmm. sister over in Aklavik, and she had sent photos of uh, my eldest nephew and his two. Um, sorry, my eldest nephew had returned to a clavic with a successful caribou harvest and in those photos are my parents um, standing on top of the riverbank looking down at him and his boat and the caribou and they're well in their 80s and 
Mm-hmm. That touched my heart when I seen that photo and I, I look at this uh, Trump, you know, President Trump who has no clue, no idea who the Gwich'in people are. And, uh, you know, even though he's he's had many presentations given to him, we don't feel that we're given that respect back. And that really, mm. um, that really didn't set well with me because I'm looking at this photo and then I'm seeing all this news on my desk and I'm thinking there's more motivation. You know, when we see, we see yes, this, keep, yeah, keep this going. is what we're protecting. So, you know, centuries of tradition of who we are. Let's talk about the, uh, the, the barren ground caribou and the numbers and the herds up there. Uh, some say there's a sharp decline. What's the situation for the caribou in your territory, the porcupine herd? Um, fortunately uh, for, for us and the porcupine caribou herd, it's, it's quite healthy. Um, according to uh, census uh, done in 2017, the estimated uh, herd population was at about 218,000. And um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's healthy. And uh, one of the reasons... It, so yeah. it's healthy. It's healthy. But what would the impact on that herd be if drilling is allowed to happen in, in the refuge? If drilling was allowed to happen, the impact could be could be very devastating. Although a number like 218,000 sounds like a lot and folks out there who this whole thing might be new to might be saying, well, 218,000, what are they worried about? They can, you know, we're worried because when it comes to uh, things such as a fragile, fragile ecosystem as the calving grounds, the impact mm-hmm. based on science and studies and past examples that we have to look at and not want to repeat past mistakes we see happen around the world, development would devastate that herd. And you can see a massive, drastic decline quickly. Mm. We've seen it happen to other herds in the world. And, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, we're not talking of uh, the unknowns. We're talking of what we've seen happen to other people, to mm-hmm. other herds. And, you know, under this current administration as well, um, you know, we've been battling as a people with our allies trying to get wilderness protection of the calving grounds uh, for decades, at least 30 years. Mm. And with this current administration, they're really just muzzling scientists, ignoring scientists, ignoring evidence, ignoring biology, and, you know, pushing through and just trampling through environmental laws is another thing, Uh, trampling through our rights. So there's a, a strong political advocacy and lobby effort going on. Uh, but there's also, and, and we're going to keep pushing for that and supporting that, you know, the, the big political efforts to, to stop and uh, convince the Trump administration not to look at uh, developments there. But there's also the legal avenue. And the Gwich'in have joined a lawsuit challenging the process leading to the U.S. government's decision to open the coastal areas. Where does that stand? Can you give the listeners an update uh, on that? Sure, I, I'd be happy to do that. On August 24th, uh, the Gwich'in Steering Committee, uh, which is based in Fairbanks, Alaska, along with 12 other allies, they, they have filed a lawsuit um, charging the Bureau of Land Management with violating the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, National Wildlife Refuge System Administration Act, the National Environmental Policy Act, the Wilderness Act, and the Endangered Species Act. The Gwich'in perspective, though, in, in all of that, the, the, the reasoning and where it resonates for the Gwich'in is some, everything we just talked about to now um, in terms of our, our pr- protecting our, our cultural rights and Aboriginal rights and, and everything that goes on. With the Gwich'in Steering Committee, I just must say that they are 
based in Alaska, and they are the ones who are involved in filing this lawsuit to, to this point, but they do represent, they, we do have seats on that steering committee. So the Gwich'in of Northwest Territories, uh, where I'm from and who I'm uh, current leadership of, um, along with the Yukon, Vantat Gwich'in First Nation, um, and the Alaska Gwich'in, we all form and sit on that steering committee. So that's where we're represented as a Gwich'in nation. In the in the lawsuit. No, that's yeah. a very powerful thing. The um, uh, again, we've always said as First Nations people, Indigenous peoples, we never created the borders, and we didn't create the Canada-USA border. We never created the border between the Yukon and Northwest Territories. Uh, the Gwich'in people, as as a nation and tribe, uh, roamed all that territory, and there were no borders before. So, uh, working together on both sides with Gwich'in on both sides, now uh, you're pressing ahead legally. So that's keep uh, keep the pressure on legally. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we're, we're definitely um, set and motivated to do that because we are, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, our people had no boundaries and borders, and that's true. And, and the caribou don't know boundaries and borders either. This is something that their mm -hmm. migratory route has been this route for thousands of years. You know, they, they uh, migrate approximately uh, 2,400 kilometers in between their calving ground area to the wintering range, which is here in our territory in NWT. That's 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 wow. a big <laughs> route. And even our Gwich'in communities, if you look on a map, um, all the villages and communities, they're like strategically set in the areas that follow the migration route, which affirm our relationship mm -hmm. with the caribou for centuries. Yeah. That's it. Now, I know um, as chiefs and grand chiefs, uh, we do a lot of advocacy work and a lot of lobbying. And um, one of the major successes that you've, you've done, uh, you've already achieved something in a, in a good way, was convincing some of the large United States banks to publicly commit that they won't finance drilling in the refuge. Um, how were you able to do that? Give us an update. Like, how did that come about? Um, that came about um, uh, over the past couple of years um, through, of course, uh, good relationships with each other, collaboration, being unified. Um, working together with um, uh, folks in, in different organizations. And um, it's been very powerful and, and encouraging when you see big banks like that understand and get get the messaging mm -hmm. and make that decision. Like, hey, yes, we are going to support your people. And the um, the effort, like we have many people who are involved. Um, I, I wasn't part of that um, we supported it, of course, but we sent down for speaking for our region NWT. We sent down one of our young women to be part of that delegation to go and speak as a young person um, to share, be part mm -hmm. of that group that went to these big banks and had meetings with them and talks are like how you and I are talking, you know, sharing why why it is we want you no know, we want to keep development out of the calving ground. Um, so it is the hard work of those those folks that, you know, I must recognize and thank. Mm. And it's representation, again, from Alaska, Yukon, and Northwest Territories working together as a unified nation. Together, we're stronger, you know, and, and that's showing. And that's how come we've um, been able to um, uh, make, make the progress we have to date. So these folks went down and made... Um, had big meetings you know, with the different banks here in ca uh, Canada as well as in the states, and it, um, you know we're hoping that other bigger banks start following suit to those who did announce last mm -hmm. year, because you know 
um, they're basically announced and told the oil and gas industry that um, they won't be financing any projects in that area. So even, you know, we talk mm. about these leases and we hear, um, we hear the announcements that, you know, we could expect a sale of lease at least by the end of this year. I think the industry mm -hmm. and others who are might be thinking of looking at purchasing a lease know because of where things are at, they know that if they do, they're, they're, they're going to be facing a lot of financial risks, litigation risks, and of course, reputational risks. That's it. So risk management, people have to consider that going forward if they're going to try to get involved in the cabin yes. grounds. Um, now, we're in Canada, and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has said one of the most important relationships uh, he wants to, to develop and foster positive uh, relationships with and growth with is with First Nations people. Uh, what has the Canadian government done to help intervene in this decision, and uh, what more could would you like to see happen from the Canadian government, you know, especially in light of reconciliation, that words used lots, you know, and we're the most important relationship with this government. Um, but again, what has the Canadian government done and what would you like to see more being done from your perspective? Well, over the years, um, the Canadian government, uh, federal government has, has been uh, supportive um, in, in, in mm -hmm. our fight, um, you know, that by providing things like uh, letters, uh, letters of support. Uh, but what we would, I think, what I would really like to see, especially now at this time, is um, more like a, a public statement, more of a um, thanks to our member of parliament, Michael McLeod, for the Western Arctic here. Uh, he stands in the House of Commons and he does speak to, to this issue and is in, speaks in supporting of the wilderness uh, protection and supporting the Gwich'in people. Um, he does that for us in the House and so does the MP for the Yukon Territory, uh, MP Larry Bagnell. Um, the premiers, uh, both premiers of each government is also, so everyone's like on the same page, which is great. Mm -hmm. So the federal government supports that. But I think what we need is we need to see more, um, more action, like more bold action. Um, last year, I was part of our, sorry, two years ago, I was part of a delegation that went down to Washington, D.C. It was a, a effort we made through the, um, organized by the Canadian Embassy. And uh, ideally, we, we wanted uh, more of our federal leadership to be with us. Um, they were willing to, but just uh, scheduling, it didn't work out. But uh, we did have MPs okay. with us and uh, things like that. I think I'd like them to pick up more again, take more lead in, being more vocal at the federal government. If our prime minister of Canada could, could speak out and give a statement in support, that would also um, be something we'd like to see. Um, we do mm -hmm. have an international Canada in the past, and there is an international porcupine caribou management agreement as well. So that's something that's between the United States and Canada. And that's something that we okay. need to look back at too and have that always uh, surface and remind those who signed that agreement of the obligations to the safety of the herd. All right. So more bold action. Start working together, more national, international statements together. Uh you know, in, in, to protect those, the calving grounds, mm -hmm. caribou calving you, grounds. And if uh, I could add, I just, you know, you, you, you mm -hmm. mentioned that, you know, the, if, if the, as president, uh, sorry, prime minister Trudeau had said that if he really means that the most important relationship is with that of indigenous people, then this is an opportunity for him and his government um, to show that 
in with the Gwich'in mm -hmm. because as we talked about the importance of the caribou, they need to, as the federal government, show us um, more affirmation and support to the protection of our culture and our indigenous rights. And you look at section section 35 of the Canadian constitution and the, the Aboriginal yep. rights, and this is what makes us unique as Gwich'in. And so that needs to be, um, mm -hmm. we need to see more of a reaff like affirmation and um, support in that. Uh, just uh, more action would be appreciated from our government. No, strong statement. In the short term now, Grand Chief, if we're successful and if you're successful in, in stopping the immediate threat of, uh, of, uh, of uh, oil gas drilling on, on the grounds, what needs to be done to ensure that the calving grounds are permanently protected going forward? Well, what needs to be done and what's um, something that uh, uh, we've been working hard on, our, our people uh, for decades, is trying to get a wilderness bill passed the United States government and ideally to to put this issue to rest in our favor of seeing that calving grounds protected would be to see the wilderness bill um, pass house and pass senate and become a bill and become law that that that's what uh, ideally we'd like to see and, and we're going to keep on pushing for that it's um, something that um, has been directed to us by our elders of the day back in 1988. Um, 1988 mm -hmm. was the first time in a, many years that the Gwich'in had gathered as a nation. So back in 1988, our elders from Northwest Territories, a group of people, along with elders of Old Crow Yukon Territory and Alaska, got together in Alaska. And I, I was just, mm -hmm. I was... Um, quite young then i wasn't there unfortunately but my uh, late grandmother was there and she was one of the elders who uh, spoke in the the days of discussing this topic and in the sharing circles and in the prayers and ceremony and giving advice and at the end of that gathering it was a directive to our leadership of the day and to our future leaders and even me today but it's going to be we, we we reaffirm that directive every time we gather is that there's no amount of money that puts any sort of comparison or to value to that calving ground, Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, mm. into our people, to our culture, to the caribou. So we continue continue to advocate and, and stand up for our rights and, and our identity as Gwich'in um, based on that... Uh, uh, clear directive that was given in 1988. Mm. Well, your strong leadership and your advocacy is uh, uh, providing um, some good results with the banks, and then you've provided some clear direction in terms of the lobbying advocacy efforts with the members of parliament from your territory and the premiers, and um, clearly mapped out that what's needed in the long term is a wilderness bill to be passed by the USA government. Um, in light of all these challenges, and we know and we get the importance of the caribou to the Gwich'in people and the sacredness of those lands. They're birthing grounds. They're like an incubator. Like they're a, a, a very, very special place where your people don't even go hunting there because that's out of great respect uh, for our, our relatives, the four-leggeds, the caribou. Um, in all these challenges, you know, even with COVID-19 amongst us and uh, the challenges between cross borders and everything else, what, what gives you hope? as a leader, as a Gwich'in person, as a mother, 
you know, and, and a wife and as a Gwich'in leader, as a Grand Chief, what gives you hope? There's um, so many things that give me hope. Um, when I look at our youth today and I see them, you know, majority of our youth are telling us they want this protected. They're not telling us develop it. We want jobs, even though that's important, very important for employment. They see the value in that. And that makes me proud of them because they're they're telling us on their own, you know, and it, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that our young people, that's where their majority of them, that's where their heart and mind is at. And also the hope that uh, we come from such resilient people that we've gone, you know, mm -hmm. our people gone through so much for us to be here today. And it gives me hope to see the youth wanting to to carry that on and, and to carry on what the elders directed us to do. And then just looking at our young children, you know, my daughter's 11 now. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, looking at her when she's, um, you know, cutting meat with me, cutting caribou meat and wanting to learn and, yeah. and just thinking like, holy cow, although things have changed a lot, this is one thing that is still pretty solid for our people is our relationship with that caribou. Mm. And, and, you know, and you mentioned like during this COVID pandemic, the global pandemic, um, as a leader, uh, it gave me, I had hope when, and encouragement when I seen how our people in our communities, our local chiefs and, and leadership in the communities, how they worked together as uh, soon as things were declared a pandemic in March, um, the community response plans. You know, it's like, it was so great to see like all these uh, important things. Sometimes with politics, you see these things, this disagreements and all these things, I, you know, very well, everything was just put aside and the importance of taking mm -hmm. care of the people, community response, people were working together. That really gave me hope because I was thinking, okay, this is what, this is who we are. We're not all that mm -hmm. political white man government style of doing things. This is who we are. And, and, my point I'm getting at here is this pandemic experience also made a lot of us um, reaffirm why this we need to protect the caribou. Um, quickly, you know, things start shutting down. You've been up here, Chief Perry. You've seen the how long the Dempster Highway mm -hmm. is. Often goes under closure yeah. for different reasons. But if trucks were to stop, you know, our fuels shipped are trucked in, our um, food is trucked in, and Things, you know, shelves, people are worried about shelves going bare, uh, maybe trucks not being able to come in and things shutting down. And I looked around in our communities and we were uh, blessed as a people this winter and spring because we had a lot of caribou. A lot of caribou were in the wintering mm. area, uh, which was a, a good thing for us because people were able to uh, harvest and uh, have their freezers full and and those who were done their harvest, you know, started helping and harvesting for those who might not have had the means to get out there, elderly, uh, single fa single parent families, uh, like things like that. And everyone was just trying looking out for each other and making sure that everyone had full freezers. And that just reaffirmed, mm -hmm. you know, this is that this is what money can't buy. You got a global pandemic, everything crashing down, money being lost here and there in the market. But we had food <laughs> we our freezers were full we yeah. didn't have to depend on you know the 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 meat that is getting shipped in from the south um things like that really people need to realize um out there in the world how important food security yeah. is well that's a a strong powerful message of hope uh grand chief bobby joe greenland morgan 
um, you know, our youth being involved, still listening and following our elders' mm -hmm. teachings, harvesting with respect that sacred caribou that gives yep. us life. Um, you know, working together as a community, look after the elders, the youth, the women, the men, working mm -hmm. together, the food security piece in light of yeah. the COVID pandemic. And, you know, like when we got put to the test, all our traditional value and skill just came out naturally. And that's what really gave me hope. Young and old working together. Uh, uh, Grand Chief, is there anything else that we missed that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, yes, I, I'd like listeners uh, out there, you know, if if hearing the story, you know, if you want to hear more, if you want to um, learn more about the, the issue, learn more about the Gwich'in, uh, more importantly, if you want to get involved, you know, if you if you have a uh, an urge to, you know, something telling you, hey, this is something that, you know, I think that I want to help, help out and uh, please reach out. You know, there's a, a lot of uh, websites out there. Uh, for the Gwich'in Tribal Council, you can find us online at gwich'intribal.ca. Uh, you can contact me directly and I can definitely help answer questions and then direct you to the right sources. But, um, you know, we have many allies across uh, the United States, many Indigenous groups that are working with us as well as here in Canada. Um, but, you know, it's empowering when, when you see what can happen when more and more people work together, mm -hmm. and especially the Indigenous people out there that are listening, because, um, you know, we can achieve this and uh, we can only achieve it though when we have the, the supports and numbers and um, the supports of government at all levels. But as citizens, you know, you have a lot of um, power to use your voice and get involved. So I just wanted to encourage any listeners out there, get involved if you'd like. We definitely uh, welcome the support. Well, that's a powerful statement to end off. So Bobby Joe Greenland Morgan. Grand Chief and President of the Gwich'in Tribal Council, thank you so much for joining us on the Akamemuk Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemuk Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.